0: jamie and i'm beth welcome to thief steals the podcast where i steal the podcast and i steal it back okay this week we are talking about the third season the fourth episode called the scheherazade job what did you think
1: okay i'm gonna be real <laughs> this episode reminded me of a different television series okay specifically the opening scene now i have said i think through a lot of season two, I think I was talking about how, for some reason, the opening scene of this show yeah. just feels like it is inherently
0: worse than they the lead rest into of the, the episode. melodrama and the, like the, yeah, the cold open, and then everything else is like normal. Yeah, it's
1: so weird, like in yeah. the terms of like, it feels like there's a different energy in the yeah. opening sequences to like the rest of the episode. And often I find that like some of the dialogue is really like yeah. stilted, like the writing feels weird, the acting feels worse somehow. Mm. I, we haven't had that. I don't think yet this season. Yeah. And honestly, the back half of season two was pretty solid. For some reason, watching this episode, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm right back in that weird space of the yeah. opening is like a completely different vibe. However, in this instance, it didn't remind me very much of this uh, the episode of Our Flag Means Death, mm-hmm. where they're running the pyramid scheme. Like that whole intro where he's like... My family is very, or like my country is very wealthy. We have a lot of resources, but unfortunately, tragedy has befallen and I need your help. And I was like, this is literally, <laughs> this is literally the pyramid scheme from Our Flag Means Death. And it did make me laugh. I did, I did enjoy that. It's not what they were trying to do. No. So I enjoyed it yeah. for a reason they weren't intending, but I did still enjoy it. That's the key. In a way I wasn't expecting, uh, which is fun. That was the vibe. Also, um, quick note if you haven't watched Our Flag Means Death, you should absolutely go do that. That is uh, one hell of a show. And if you're looking for a podcast to go along with it, I would suggest Find Things Well, which is run by
0: our good friends. Yeah, it's run by our very good friends from your other podcast, Wayward Parents, and also Saving People Queering Things. Yeah.
1: So if you're a fan of any of their other projects, we would highly recommend Find yeah. Things Well, which is their Our Flag like Means Death podcast.
0: I feel like at this point, like we're legally required to like shout out the rest of the pod squad.
1: Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Plug when you can. And yeah. yeah. That's a weird sentence. Maybe take that out. That could be weird out of context.
0: You heard it here first. Bethany's plugging things. (laughs) Okay, so you remember last week. How I asked you, what other skills do we think Nate picked up in prison? I was fucking thinking about
1: this the entire episode. The entire episode. And I was, like, thinking about it. I was, like, oh, my God, Nate's going to be a conductor. Nate learned how to read sheet music. Nate's, like, you know, I was, like, he's going to be – it's going to be – in the. I was, like – I think in my guess, I was saying, like, oh, he's going to have learned an instrument or something, yeah. you know. And I was like, oh,
0: maybe I was That's doing the wrong why, thing. I don't know if you noticed, but
1: I was laughing a little bit of that. Yeah, just a I was Like, Because I was like, maybe I'm maybe I'm on the right track, right?
0: And so... I mean, he certainly uses it for musical purposes. Exactly. So here's the thing.
1: When one of us says anything that the other laughs at, it's either a 50-50, you're completely on the right track, or you're completely on the wrong track. So... <laughs> it's right <laughs> like, down the middle. It really is a 50-50 yeah. chance. So... When it came to that, I was like, oh, okay, well, like, maybe, maybe I'm on the right track, you know, maybe. And I was, like, watching it, and I was like, I don't think it's going to be an instrument. then they brought up the whole thing with Hardison being like, I used to play the violin when I was 14. I was like, oh, okay. So it's not going to be the instrument, maybe. But then we kept having Nate with the sheet music, and he could clearly read it really easily. And I was like, maybe he, like, learned how to conduct, you know? And I was like, okay, okay. The hypnotism did hit me out of nowhere. I did not expect that. And... But but all the clues are there. They are... Kind of. I would argue the whole thing about, like, Hardison taking a nap or whatever. I was like, that is not explicit enough that the audience could infer.
0: But it's not just that he takes a nap. It's like, what have you been doing? Hardison's obviously losing time because he seems confused. He doesn't know what's happening. He also, he has the metronome there, which you can use for hypnosis. And you also have Sophie very obnoxiously saying, we both know he's the best candidate. Which I mean, yes. is not how you refer to your good friend. No, but it is how you might refer
1: to the best person in your crew to play a musical instrument in an orchestra when they're the person who has like identified that they used to play said musical instrument. So I'm kind of like, I, I, I see what they did there, but I'm also like, I think that it was a little bit less... Like, it's not like that plot where they had where you could pick that the girl was colourblind. Yeah. Like, that... I think was done really well. This, I think, like, I see what they were going for, but I was kind of like, eh, it feels a little bit looser, I guess. Mm. Like, I feel like they're... They're purposely hiding more of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think for obvious reasons, because, like, there's only so much you can do without giving away to the audience that that's the angle you're taking. Mm. So, like, this isn't really a criticism. It's just more of a, like, I don't think it was, was as obvious for the audience to actually be able to piece together Mm -hmm. as some of the other plots where it's like, if you were paying attention, you could easily put it together. You just have to actually
0: be paying attention. Yeah. You know? So we get Nate gaslighting Hardison the episode. Yeah. Which is a choice they made. And we also have something that we find out for the first time about Hardison, which is that he's sort of gunning to run his own crew. Mm, yes. Which... Nate basically says no you don't have what it takes like you're smart enough Mm -hmm. but you don't have what it takes to run your career and like I think I wrote down some of the guesses that like Hardison had for (laughs) why he couldn't run his own crew yeah which is thriftiness friendliness aloofness rudeness and big picture thinking yeah (laughs) and the thing is I kind of agree with Nate on this one like Hardison doesn't have what it takes to run his own crew. Mm,
1: Yeah, I think, though, that it comes down to Hardison not having the experience. Like, I think that with experience and time, he could learn to be, like, an effective leader. Mm. But, yeah, you're right. Like, at this point, like,
0: he just doesn't have what it takes to be in charge. And based on his sort of approach towards it. It's unlikely that he's going to be able to gain the skills because, like, that's the other things he describes himself as the super scroll, mm. and because he has all the powers of all the others. And he says like he he grifts, he hacks. He has a dog named Megabyte to take care of the hitting work. Yeah, he has a fucking dog. We never, also the name Megabyte
1: is iconic.
0: <laughs> we never meet Megabyte, so some people hypothesise that Megabyte doesn't exist. And other people hypothesize that Megabyte does exist. We never get confirmation one way or the other about Megabyte. I am so sad right now.
1: I was really hoping for an episode at some point where Hardison is like, got Megabyte in the van with him and like somehow it's like included in the con or something. Or like maybe they have to go to a dog park Mm. and they have Megabyte conveniently available.
0: So Hardison basically tries to claim like, I've got everyone's skills. I can do it all. Except for the fact that he does it, Mm-mm. He claims that he can grift. Mm-hmm. Except for this con, he almost broke character because he was so mesmerized by a violin. He dropped the accent completely. Yeah. Sophie had to do the most conspicuous <clears throat> clearing of the throat uh-huh. to remind him he is playing Timmy. Uh-huh. Which
1: The choice of the name Timmy is iconic and hilarious. I can't quite explain to you why. But it's just, like, that concept of, like, little Timmy. Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> like, I love it for so many reasons, but also it's just fucking hilarious. It like, also
1: feels weird to call a grown man Timmy. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm like, I am an eight-year-old. <laughs> why is he
0: not now Tim or Timothy or yeah. Yeah. anything but Timmy? But Hardison at this point is so... He's cocky. He's so cocky. He's so convinced that he possesses all the skills, but, like... Mind you, his lift work is still barely there. Mm -hmm. Like, his grifting skills are still not up to par. Mm -hmm. Like, last time he seriously had to grift... He got kidnapped. ...by a (laughs) Russian. Like, it's just really hard to be like, yes, you can run your own crew when he's trying to claim these skills that he doesn't have and he doesn't seem to be self-aware enough to realise that he doesn't have the skill. Like, he's like, I'm here to learn or whatever, but he's not there to learn what actually goes into it. He's there to learn, like, the, like, sort of outside elements of it. Yeah. And I also think it's fascinating that in an episode where Hardison is gunning for the mastermind position, you have Nate actually consulting Parker. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. And you have Nate working with Parker on, like, a mastermind-to-mastermind level. Nate recognises and understands I don't have the skills to work out how to break into the vault. Mm -hmm. So he works with Parker. And it's just like that really massive contradiction of Hardison, I think, kind of missed the point of what Nate was saying at the end of the episode as well, which Nate was like, you know, you need to know what buttons you have to push Mm -hmm. to like get the result that you need to keep your crew safe.
1: Yeah. I think that like, it's really interesting hearing like you put all this together because I think how I would boil it down Mm -hmm. for me personally is that, Hardison doesn't understand the importance of not only recognizing the strengths that your individual team members have as well as yourself, but actually recognizing your own limitations Mm -hmm. and when it is important to consult various other people in your crew. Like you just said, like, Nate was like, I recognize that I don't fully understand this particular vault structure or the security system. I'm going to consult Parker and I will take what she says and I will respect it. And identify it as more superior knowledge than I have. That is why I've asked her in the first place. He's not just asking her so that she can feel like she's no. helped. He's asking her because he recognizes she knows better than him. Even though if you want to like look at it as like a hierarchy, technically Nate is in charge, mm-hmm. it is so important for a person in leadership to be able to communicate with their team and actually take on board their recommendations because you recognize that they are the expert in this area. A CEO who has a board meeting with, like, marketing and finance and, you know, all of these people, but then doesn't actually take on board what they're telling him as their advice from the head of their departments decides to go ahead with a campaign that they have suggested won't work and then it fails.
0: Like, that's on him. Mm -hmm. And it's also fascinating from this point of view when you consider the Iceman job, which we touched on earlier briefly, because, again, he's claiming these skills of grifting, Hmm. But if you look at both Parker and Hardison in that episode, Parker recognizes that she is not the person for the job. She's like, last time I stabbed a dude, like I don't think I have the skills necessary for this. Mm -hmm. She consults Sophie before she goes into this thing. She consults Sophie, whereas... Hardison spends that entire episode steamrolling the rest of his team. Mm-hmm. He doesn't listen to Elliot. He doesn't listen to Nate when they're trying to pull his portrayal back, when they're trying to, like, humble him a little bit and say, you know what? Mm-hmm. You're going overboard. This is not going to end well. Mm-hmm. He makes Elliot a mute. He, like, and yeah. he, he literally stops Elliot from voicing his opinion because he cannot voice his opinion. Yeah.
1: I know that I just put, like, an analogy out there which is basically, like, Hardison versus Nate in, like, a CEO position, yeah. but I think another example of this is, you know, in, like, high school drama, when yeah. they make you do, like, improv, mm-hmm. and, like, there's that rule where it's, like, basically, whatever someone says, you cannot shut it down, because yeah. if you shut down the suggestion, there is nowhere for the scene to go. Like, you have yeah. to be willing to be yes, flexible. Exactly. exactly. You have to be willing to be flexible with the people that you are supposed to be improving with. If you are trying to control the whole scenario because you have an idea in your mind of what it's supposed to be, and you keep ex-naying all of the different directions other people are trying to provide, it's just going to be a fucking boring scene and nothing is going to happen. You're going to get stuck because no one else can read your mind. They don't know what you want. You're just telling them that you don't want what they're telling you they've got. Yep. So it's kind of like the same thing, like he's so single minded in like what he wants to do and his understanding of the situation that he is just ex-naying any other suggestion that comes from any other point, And they end up stuck because they don't have the same brain that he does. So it's not going to flow in the direction that he is planning for it to flow. Like you have to be flexible and you have to take on the input of the people around you. That is how a team functions. And, yeah, it, it's so interesting to be able to look at Hardison from that perspective because I think part of it also comes down to that he feels like
0: he is undervalued. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to, hey, like, prove him himself. He is, he is 100% undervalued. And also yeah. I want to be clear here. I do think that Nate hypnotising Hardison without his consent is a dick move. Yes, I wanted to talk about that. And we'll get to that later. But I also think that Hardison is taking – he's not understanding what Nate is actually saying. Nate is not saying, oh, you have to hypnotise your own crew. Hmm. Nate is saying you need to understand. Fundamentally. Fundamentally that sometimes getting your crew out safe is more important than respecting whatever, like, like you can see their boundaries and you can try and work around them. But also sometimes. You have to be a dick. You need to be a dick. You need to push past them to make sure they don't fucking die. Mm -hmm. I think maybe let's segue
1: into that sort of consent issue with the hypnotism because I honestly like as much as we were just saying like Patterson doesn't fundamentally understand what it takes to run your own crew Mm -hmm. and bits and pieces like that I also am 100% on his side in this I like I wrote down his quote hypnosis is something you do to a mark not to your own crew because he's right and I understand that if you say oh I'm going to hypnotize you into like that's not how it works it doesn't work
0: as effectively if they know they're hypnotized exactly you know because they're going to be like aware of it and blah 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 But but also not letting hardison know what he was planning Mm -hmm. meant that hardison spent the entire time stressed out and acting weird and possibly could have blown the con that but also i think it undermines trust yeah and that is so essential to
1: these guys like we've talked a lot about found family we've talked a lot about how they're all used to working individually and how you know they have to really learn to trust each other and trust that they're not going to be betrayed and like all of these things And I feel like Nate has just undermined a lot of that because now there will always be that constant niggle of, like, well, has Nate hypnotized me at some point or is Nate going behind my back and doing this stuff? Because it's not just like, oh, Nate didn't give me the whole plan. It's Nate fucked with my brain.
0: And actually it... it And the implication is there that Nate could hypnotize him into a lot of things. Like, the implication is... Because they describe Hardison as the best candidate. The implication is... He's most susceptible. He's most susceptible. So for, like, Elliot, Sophie, Parker, the risk isn't really there. Mm. Because if Nate was able to hypnotise them, he might, like, he probably would have said so. There is a chance, but it's, like, it's not something that's proven. Whereas Nate has now proven... That he could hypnotise That he could hypnotise Hardison. And I think that that's
1: going to put Hardison in a position where he trusts Nate less, he Mm -hmm. may not be as willing to be alone with Nate on a one-on-one. Yeah. And also he knows that Sophie was in on it, which means that he also now trusts Sophie less inherently, and I just think that that is, like obviously in this particular instance of the con singular, like it was considered a necessary move. However, I think it is now going to impact every other con beyond this point, because that trust is broken, and because there is that paranoia now, that Nate could be fucking with him. And what is really, really, really interesting about the fact that it's hard to Is that we have talked before about the whole concept of, like, I can hack anything, but you can't hack a hick. Yeah. Nate has just proved that he, in fact, could hack a hick as long as they were susceptible. And Mm -hmm. so I think that is so interesting because, like, Hardison's talking about how he can do everything of every member on the crew Mm -hmm. and, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, we think that's inherently incorrect. But Nate has just proved that he can do the one thing that Hardison has always said that's, I can't do that. I can't hack a person. I can't hack a brain. Yeah. And Nate's like, I'm about to be hilarious.
0: Yeah. You know, and so I do think that that is really interesting. And I do also want to make it clear that I think, obviously I don't think it's a good thing, but I do think it was intentional. Um, like he purposefully made this more malicious than it needed to be to prove a point to it. Mm. which is not a good thing. No. But I also do think that the reason that he didn't consult with Hardison and didn't check in with Hardison before he hypnotized him was because he wanted to prove a point.
1: And Nate is also a very morally grey character. Yes.
0: So I don't think it is poor characterization
1: mm-hmm. at all. I actually think it is on point characterization. Yeah. But I also think that it is a choice that will have consequences. Yeah. And I really I really hope that it is something they actually address. Um, because this is honestly like I said at the end of last season, like, Hardison is pissed and he hasn't really had the opportunity to to take that out with Nate and to actually fully go through that with yeah. him and say, this is why I'm mad, this is blah, blah, blah. And Nate hasn't really had a chance to explain his motivations and, like, what Hardison's just
0: been more pissy at Nate this season than he normally is. Yeah, and I'm like, this is doubling down. And I'm kind of
1: wondering if there is going to be a fracture in the team that is going to occur from this sort of consistent – disillusion between Mm -hmm. Nate and Hardison because there is, there is this illusion, I suppose. I don't know if illusion is the right word, but I'm going to run with it. Idea amongst the group that they are all like a a found family. And this is very true, right? This is not incorrect, but I think there is this illusion of, of like undying trust, I suppose. Like, like this unconditional love or trust or, you know, whatever you want to say that it is between them. And The thing is that it's not (laughs) because ultimately they came together as, like, a business Mm. arrangement and fundamentally, like, business arrangements can go bad, you know, and this could be a thing that, like, Hardison decides, well, actually, I don't feel like I'm a part of this family because I feel like I am constantly undermined. I feel like I am constantly unappreciated i feel like i am constantly gaslit you know and that would be valid for him and so it does i think put the potential out there for him to decide that he wants to split from the group especially given this particular episode him talking about him wanting to have his own crew i don't know if that's going to be something that develops and results in Hardison being like you know what i'm going to split i'm going to go my own way and i think that's going to fuck up the dynamic, I think that it's going to make them, one, I think it's going to make them realise how necessary Hardison is, but I also think it is going to make Hardison re- recognise how little he knows of the other's crafts. So I yeah. think it could work well, but I also think that it's it's going to potentially be a rift. Like, I feel like maybe there might be, at some point, a couple episode arc where, like, is like, you know what, I'm going to go my own way, uh, see you later, kind of thing, and then maybe he comes back when they will realise it's not going to work. But, at this point, I think there has to be some kind of confrontation or discussion between him and Nate. Like, there has to be, I think, if especially if they keep playing into this. Like, they might resolve it yeah, just generally, but at this point, if they keep kind of pushing on
0: these points, I think they're going to have to address it more directly, you know? No, that's absolutely – I'm not allowed to say anything. Yeah, I no. <laughs> yes. Enjoy speaking to a wolf. This episode is where we do get the beginning of, like, Hardison being like, I want to run my own crew. And I think, yeah, I think in this episode Nate is purposefully malicious to try and sort of scare him away from that idea because Nate knows that it's a bad idea. But I don't think that makes Nate justified. But also I think that Hardison didn't really learn what Nate was actually telling him. Like I think he interpreted it as what Nate is trying to say and what he's trying to demonstrate is you need to understand what is necessary to make it work. Mm -hmm. You need to know when to consult other people, you know, when to, what skills you need to rely on. And all Hardison hears is, you need to push your crew past breaking point. And it's like, that's not the same thing. That's not what, Yeah. to be clear, Nader's not being clear about what he actually means. When the fuck is he ever? But when the fuck is he ever? And then Hardison is taking away the complete wrong message from what Nate is trying to say. <laughs> it's mystery spot coded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, so that was very serious. I want to not... Dwell on it. Not stay on the serious. Very
1: quickly before we move on. I have one particular note on Hardison that I do want to say that I just found very funny. Mm -hmm. Which is the moment when I think it's when Sophie has just said, and Timmy's going to be the star. And he kind of goes, okay. Like, is that just the resigned? Like, well, I fucking guess. It's, oh, it's so funny. I just... mm.
0: While we are talking about Timmy, mm-hmm. the bum bag.
1: Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Iconic. What a look. Fashion goals. What an icon.
0: We just... Timmy is perfect alias. We also get back Christy Connolly, who is from The Miracle mm. Job. Yes. I
1: was confused um, when we first had Sophie playing this role because I, I feel like her accent was not in the start of the scene and it, like, appeared halfway through the scene because it kept... I'm usually very, like, pro... Like, Gina Bellman's accent work is incredible.
0: Considering she gets, like, a week per accent. Yeah. but She does very
1: well. Because this is, like... This is the Aussie accent, right, that we talked about way back in... in It's not as
0: good as the Miracle Jobs version, though.
1: Yeah, and I was surprised. I was like, I've... You've done this before and really well. And I think, like, the first... The part of the scene where she introduces herself, it just sounds like her normal voice. And I was surprised because i was like oh she's not using an accent and then like halfway through the scene i was like wait she's using an accent what accent is that and i didn't even recognize my own fucking accent
0: (laughs) because i don't know if it was meant to be like it it kind of became australian yeah normally the (laughs) christy Connolly alias like christy connelly is Mm. her australian sort of pr reporter alias yeah so it's like yeah it's weird because last time she used this same because i'm pretty sure this is the exact same cover that she uses in the miracle job, where mm-hmm. she plays like the she's reusing
1: up. the role. Yeah, yeah, she's
0: reusing her aliases, which makes sense. Like we get the we get Parker uses Alice White a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Sophie, we see her as Annie Croy quite a bit. Yeah. Like Jimmy Papadopoulos pops up. Oh my god, really? Yeah, I think we get another episode or so. Where Icon is Jimmy Papadopoulos. <laughs> uh, but like, so they sort of have these general aliases that mm-hmm. are already established, so they can just grow. It's easier to use. You know, if it's something among these four professions, they just lump it into this one alias. Like, yeah. if it's in this sort of, this is the sort of character. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Harrison was meant to be in this one because, like, last time it was a very, very good Australian accent and yeah. then this time it was just, like, it's kind of Australian, kind of
1: British, kind of... Yeah, I feel like the rest of the episode it was stronger and more yeah. clearly Australian. But the very first scene, it, like, started off her normal speaking voice that she uses as Sophie and then it, like, kind of shifted to, to the end of the scene. By the end of the scene, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Aussie. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. But then the rest of the episode, I was like, oh, like, it is. It's Aussie. But, yeah. like, it kept slipping. And normally, I wouldn't hold this against an actress. But, like, in this instance, I'm shocked. Because yes. normally, it's so flawless. And, like, yeah. I think that was what was tripping me up. I was so, I'm so used to her performance particularly her accent work, being so consistently good. Yeah, if if this was, shocked me. If it
0: was Parker playing the role of Christy Columbus, yeah, it would make sense. All right, accent slipped, and yeah, that makes sense. But it's Sophie. Her accent doesn't normally slip. Yeah, and
1: beyond that, it's Gina Bellman. Yeah. Like, her accent doesn't normally slip. Like, she is that good. But for some reason, yeah, this episode, I was surprised that they didn't just do a retake of that scene. It almost... It actually, what it almost feels like is they did two, like, or three runs of that scene and then they cut it together and they used like in one scene she just didn't have an accent like yeah. she just didn't put it on for whatever reason and then they just still used that shot yeah. and intercut it with one where she did use the accent like that's kind of how it felt but i don't i don't know i digress
0: point regardless is, the more important thing about sophie in this episode is that she knows the most important thing about uninsured diamonds <laughs> and that's the way they sparkle on the billionaires, billionaires yacht, yacht in the moonlight
1: Yeah. I loved Elliot coming back with no. The best thing is that they're uninsured. <laughs> Fucking obviously. Iconic. Oh, also, note on Sophie. the When she was um, describing the story of Shaharazad, yeah. I was fully expecting that story to end with her being like, and then she killed him. And I was <laughs> like, I was ready for Shaharazad to fully flip the table and kill the sultan. And then she didn't. And I was like, low-key disappointed. I was like, oh, he fell in love with her? Okay.
0: Prime
1: time for I was like, he's still a dick. Like, <laughs> He still married a thousand other women mm-hmm. and killed
0: them all. Like,
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, speaking of other stories, mm-hmm. I was not only reminded of our flagman's death in this episode, I was also reminded of The Good Place. Now, we both love The Good Place. Yes. Can you pick what it was specifically about this episode that threw me into The Good Place mindset? I don't know. Okay, we had a couple of references to male... And it's so funny. There were a couple of lines here that I was like, this is lifted verbatim from Chidi and Eleanor's bedroom dirty talk. I, <laughs> I'm i calling it right now. Like, there was a line that was like, I'm not your mailman. And I was like, LMAO, what a bad boy. Brackets Chidi coded. And then I had another line later down where Nate says, I don't open other people's mail. It's a pretty serious crime. And I was like, genuinely, <laughs> this is lifted verbatim from Cheating Eleanor's bedroom. I can guarantee it. We also had the line, he's never going to be president now. And I was like, oh, so we're also quoting Hamilton. Yeah. Pre-Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton's quoting this, actually. Yeah, but sure. it did make me giggle because I immediately started singing the rest of the song in my head.
0: Okay. So there's too much that I want to talk about in here. I want to talk about Parker very briefly because I don't think it, it's not a Parker episode Mm-mm. but also there are Parker things in here that I want to talk about yes so first up I want to talk about how iconic it is that Parker gets a single woman tear normally that is reserved for men here's the thing the single tear
1: did make me giggle I did hate that scene <laughs> um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie the melodrama of them all stopping to slow-mo, have an emotional moment listening to the violin when they're supposed to be evacuating the fucking vault and the whole point of this whole fucking con was that they couldn't be in the vault after the music stopped and they timed it to a motherfucking T and then all of them had to stand there and be like Fucking emotional. I was like, beautiful. "Y'all are dumbasses." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "It's no. really, It
0: is a weird moment considering the professionalism of everything else. Yeah, but I did just want to call out how beautiful it is that we finally get a single woman tear. I don't think in any other piece of media I have seen a single woman tear. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not in that single, way. It's a yeah. single man tear. Like, mm-hmm. it's, women don't just get one tear. No, they have to be like sobbing. That's actually be like, yeah. so yeah. i was like, uh huh. Shout out to my girl Parker and her single woman tear. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I did like
1: the shot of the single tier. I did think that the scene in general felt Excessive silly. Excessive and weird, yeah.
0: Yeah. And Considering also- the whole, every other episode of this, show, like, it's so professional. They are all so professional about what they do. It is weird that they were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to, like, it. fucking stand here and forget the entire purpose of the club. Yeah, Yeah. I literally had a note being like,
1: if that wasn't on purpose, then they're all fucking stupid. Yeah. Because I was like, you guys know better than this. And I think... The thing is, this is not a thing against the characters, but I do think it... It goes I, against it, the writers. It goes against the writers because I'm like, guys, they're more professional than this. They are better than this. They're not listening to the motherfucking music other than to know how much time they have left. Yes, Hudson's
0: playing is incredible. However... But you can also get this shot without all of them stopping what they're doing. Yeah, you having the orchestra in the background of them
1: committing the crime... Beautiful, amazing opportunity to have this really dramatic build and
0: the crescendo matching Maybe up with have, the explosion. Maybe have, like, Parker hover and, along a little bit or something, like, yeah, I, as she's, like, picking the lock or something. Like, mm-hmm.
1: I honestly, like, I love the idea of everything they're doing actually being in silence and the only sound being that of the orchestra because I think that that's really clever, like, having the crescendos because – Kind of the emphasis that they're putting in this scene is the way that music can move you to feel like the emotions and stuff and yeah. how it can be beautiful and thought-provoking and, yeah, emotional. But then they underutilize it in the actual media that they're making. Yeah. And so I feel like the potential of that – I don't often say this about leverage, but I feel like the concept is fantastic, but I do yeah. think it was poorly executed. And you could have done so much more with the – ebb and flow and the rise and fall of the music and the way that you know it all works together and i think that it kind of gets lost in the way that it's presented and that's a real bummer and that might just be me that might just be like i mean it is it's my subjective view but i i really feel like they could have done so much more with the concept and yeah and then just having them stand there and like, like seemingly
0: completely forget the whole purpose of them being there. I think there. it's a beautiful moment, but I also don't think it makes sense. No. Like, if that makes... like It's a disservice to the intelligence yeah. of the characters, honestly. Um. While we are talking about Parker, though, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention with Parker is we get more Parker cereal.
1: Yes, I also made a note of that. I did. I was like, Parker is eating cereal. And I didn't really have any thoughts about it, yeah, but yeah. I noted it. I did have a different note about Parker, though. Oh, so in this episode, and actually through this season, like the last couple of episodes, I have had a, a vibe. Parker feels less sporadic. And yeah. it, took me, it took me probably a couple of minutes to be able to think of the right word that I was looking for to figure out what it was about her that's different. And that was the best term I could come up with. She feels more confident somehow. Mm. Like when she's explaining things or when she's running through... The scenario like when she's having that back and forth with nate and they're talking about the logistics of actually being able to break in yeah like she is so like i don't like i don't know how else to explain it other than she feels more confident and her dialogue feels less sporadic and it's so interesting because i think in terms of like her character analysis it's fascinating because she has moved from being this character who is sort of like I think she understands – and hilariously, considering how much we were talking about like Hardison before and his lack of understanding, mm-hmm. I think it shows that she understands how Nate's brain is working, and so she, they're able to collaborate in a way that in the earlier seasons – like, she would just assume that he knew something and be like, yeah. oh, well, obviously that's not – you know, whatever. But in this scene, it feels more like she's like, I know what you're thinking, but I've already figured out that it wouldn't work, mm-hmm. and here is why. And it just feels like they are collaborating on such a... It doesn't feel like one of them is above or below the other. It feels so... Like, they are coming at it from the same level. And it's a very respectful, like, I one 100% see where you're coming from. However, consider it from this angle. This is why it won't work.
0: I think, honestly, what the difference is, is Archie. I think, up mm. until last episode, Parker viewed Nate as Archie. So yeah. she was treating him... The same way she treats Archie. Yeah. Like, just short of calling Nate Sir, she saw Nate as, like, this towering, looming figure. Yeah. Because, like, okay, we understand that, like, Archie is not infallible. Archie is kind of an idiot, honestly. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't think until she actually saw Nate and Archie next to each other that she understood the difference between Nate and Archie. Yeah, I agree. And so I think that this episode, what we're seeing is a Parker who now understands that Nate is not Archie, mm-hmm. that Nate does not look at her as a subordinate, Yeah, that Nate respects her and her decisions, Yeah, and it's allowed them to become more equal than yeah. they had been previously, because she'd sort of falsely been putting Nate on this, like, the same sort of pedestal that she puts Archie on, despite the fact that Archie treats her like fucking shit.
1: Yeah, it's being viewed um, as a person rather than being viewed as a skill. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I think that is the thing that I was struggling to put my finger on, which is, yeah, like, this interaction between Archie and Nate where she got to see their different priorities and the different ways that they prioritise the way that they run their cons. Like, Archie's priority was on just,
0: like... Who cares the consequences you're getting out of life? Yeah. Whereas Nate was like, I respect what you want to do here. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that and also get you out of life. Yeah, exactly. It's... Archie's... It's... Not, it's, yeah.
1: it's Archie's more authoritarian. Nate is more collaborative. Like, Nate is running the con, but in conjunction with everyone's Mm. thoughts and opinions. Like we were talking about before. Like, it's the respect and understanding Mm. that you don't always know best just because you're in charge. Yes. And so, yeah, it's so interesting having, like, their relationship shift. Like, it's so... I'm so glad that you were able to be like, oh, it's because of the comparison between Nate and Archie, because I hadn't put that together, Mm. but I could absolutely see that their relationship had changed. Yeah. I just could have put my finger on it. And, yeah, it is, it's that. It's the confidence that she's approaching him with her knowledge, knowing that he's going to respect it and take her opinions on board instead of just deciding that she's wrong or sort of circumventing her anyway.
0: And I think that, yeah, I think it literally all boils down to the scene in the last episode where she's going, I can't leave. If I leave, they've got a record of the break-in. She can take it out and kill a whole bunch of people anyway. Mm-hmm. And Archie's response to that is, no, we get out, you leave now, like yeah, I don't cares. give a shit, mm-hmm. I don't care what you want to do, you need to get out alive. And Nate goes, okay, it's your show. I'll come up with a new plan to get you out. Mm-hmm. You've obviously got a plan to do this. You do that and I'll organise this and we'll work together to do what you want to do in the situation because you are the one currently out. Like you're the one in harm's way. Yeah. you're the one trapped in the security system like no one else is trapped everyone else can leave at any time yeah so I am going to respect your decision as the person who is inside Nate is so interesting because I think he is
1: he is a very very fascinating character and like it's very well documented my roller coaster journey with yeah. emotions about Nate but I do think that like kudos to the writers kudos to the betrayal. He is a very complex character, but he is also very consistent. Yes. And it's really interesting to be able to look and see how his interactions with his team and the way that he runs his crew have shifted and developed throughout the seasons. And I think that right now he obviously is at a place where he has been the most confident and understands his team the best that he ever has. And I think that that is really evident in the way that their cons are being run now comparatively with, like, season one, you know. And it is really interesting.
0: Oh, the other thing that I really want to talk about about Nate. I just – can I make, like, a tiny little note before you go? Please, absolutely. Up? I just want to say, though, it is that thing, though, where you have, like, a father mm-hmm. who has two kids and he's a really good parent to one kid but a really bad parent to the other kid. Yeah, like, that, it that's what it is. Like, he's a fantastic parent for Parker mm-hmm. because their brains work in the same way and he connects with Parker. Mm. But he's a terrible parent for Hardison. Yeah. Because they are... Hardison inherently- means something different. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's not a, a one-size-fits-all approach. Like, you need to be able to be flexible. Yeah. And honestly, I would argue that as much as we're talking about how Nate has a better understanding of how to run his crew and stuff, one thing that I think that he has never quite understood is that he needs to have a sort of
0: separate approach mm. for each of the I think he just, the members. he's a bit blind, like, because he understands Sophie so well. Mm-hmm. He understands Parker so well. He understands Elliot so well, but he doesn't fundamentally understand Hardison. Mm-hmm. Because of the team, I would say Hardison is the odd man out. Yeah. Like, he's the only one who I would say isn't hardened. Like, everyone else, like, You know, Parker's been stealing shit since he was, like, nine. Mm -hmm. Like, Sophie's been in the life for at least a decade. Yeah. You know, like, Nate obviously wasn't in the life for a long time, but also he was raised up by Jimmy Ford, who we know was a bookie who used to break people's arms in front of his son. Oh, very quick
1: side note. Again, with the insane amount of violence in the public space that is the bar. Oh, yeah.
0: At this point,
1: it's like... I'm like, my dudes, who is not calling the police, like this is not good for business. <laughs> like, if I was in that bar and, like, I kept seeing people, like, having their fucking elbows dislocated and, like, their hands
0: broken, I'd be like, I think I want to go to a different bar. Also, I do want to say, though, at the end of the fight, like, I, I love the way that, like, he picks the fight. Like, I think that's very funny. Like, the, that's my joke and that thing is yeah. very funny. But then at the end of it, he just does this thing where he, like, slaps his chest and does, like, a <sighs> moment. He yeah. just looks like he's constipated. i i hate that moment like i get that it's meant to be like oh i'm so tough like i could be your ass or whatever but like yeah also he doesn't look
1: tough elliot felt weird this episode yeah i don't know if it was just me i can't decide what they're trying to do with him i don't know Mm. if they can decide what they're trying to do with him because he doesn't really have his own plot and they seem to keep continuously hammering kind of the same points for him which is like No one wants my job. All I do is, like, beat people up. And even in this episode, they made that same point when Elliot's like, could you do my job? You know, and Hardison's like, well, I've got a dog for that kind of thing. And, like, also equating Elliot to an attack dog, like, that is very reductive So on, like, Hardison's part. But also, like, they had Elliot make a comment like, oh, I thought Take Your Daughter to Work Week was last week. And I was like, fuck off, Elliot, because, like, it's him talking about Hardison. And I was like, just, can we not with with that analogy, please? Uh, And also... Like, because all he had to say was take your child to work. The insult is Yeah, exactly. And that. suddenly it's not sexist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also, Elliot and the guard in this episode. Like, I don't know, like, what was happening there, but, like, it, it felt like he was somehow... First of all, if the guard had just called for help, they would have been absolutely fucked. Because Elliot was actually struggling to hold his own against this guard. Yeah. But, like, also they fully set off explosives surrounding this guy. And I don't know, like, I I was like, oh, my God, did they kill him? Like, I (laughs) I was like, did we just witness a murder, you know? But I was, I don't know, I was surprised. I didn't quite know how to take it. I feel like, actually, honestly, at the very end, when they were in the vault and Elliot and the guard were, like, eyeing each other off, I was like, damn, the fucking sexual tension happening between these two right now is off the fucking charts. I was
0: like, what is happening? I think it's meant to be implied that, like, Elliot's slightly off his game because his shoulder's bum Because yeah. he meant, like, they're like, like, Nate makes a comment about, like, oh, Elliot will take care of the guard. And he sort of, like, grabs his shoulder, like, like, yeah, oh, I- will I take care of the guard? Like,
1: yeah, I I don't know. I just feel like... Something is up with Elliot's characterization at the sec. I don't know if maybe they're trying to figure Mm. out, like, they want to rework him somehow. Because he's not as gross as he Mm. was, like, last season. But he's still, like, making a couple of comments. And, like, also, like, the reporter at the end, like, it kind of felt like he was going to sort of... Like, when Nate got up and then Elliot, like, slid across or whatever, it felt to me like he was going to be like, well, we just did you a big favour. Like, what am I going to get out of it?
0: Like, like that sleazy? was... Yeah. Whereas, like, it actually wasn't. Like, if you actually, like... Yeah, you... Like, it just, like, the the acting, for some reason, seemed really yeah. sleazy on that.
1: Especially, mm. like, he said the line um, where she was like, oh, you know, you've you know, you've done a lot. And he's like, oh, I just wish we could do more. And I was like, it feels like that thing where, like, you're pretending mm. to be a good person to, like, make yourself look better. It was almost felt like the mark... Yeah. Like, doing the good deed, but not because you just wanted to do a nice thing for someone, but because you wanted the but actually, reaction of others. Yeah.
0: And, like, the thing is, though, if you look at the script on paper, it is actually about how Elliot fought in these countries, yeah. knows what the conditions are like, and genuinely wants to do more. Yeah. But for some reason, the acting just doesn't... It comes across like he's just trying to get in yeah. her pants.
1: Yeah. And that's, like, really unfortunate, because it kind of undermines the emotional like depth of the scene because it feels like it's cheap um and that's that's a shame the thing that i wanted to talk about with nate Mm -hmm. before sorry
0: no 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 i was meant to be a tiny point and then
1: you we sidetracked kept yeah look i do that a lot with nate and the italian yeah now i made a joke before about you know the whole like i don't know open other people's mail it's a crime blah, blah blah but like that interaction i think is actually like really interesting because he makes the point of like don't ever fucking try me again and it really reminded me of like the Nate Sterling dynamic, yeah. where it's like, I respect you as a professional, but also if you fuck with me again, you're going down. Like, and I do think that that is, first of all, uh, gutsy of Nate, because <laughs> he knows how powerful she is. But also, I think it's interesting because you get the impression that she takes him at his word. Like, I don't think she's going to try this shit again. Because I think she re- realises that he's not bluffing.
0: So what do we think was actually in the envelope? Well. Do we believe Nate and what he hypothesises in there? Because he says he doesn't open it. Or is he completely wrong? Like what, what do we think is actually in the envelope? I think is an important question to ask ourselves. Here's the thing.
1: I have to assume that either Nate was correct in his assumption. It yeah. is the names that the guy was giving to the CIA. Yeah. My reasoning being that. The guy refused to open the envelope. If it wasn't Mm. that, then it has to have been something even more incriminating for him to not open the envelope. But he said it wasn't his. Yeah, but that means that he could have opened the envelope. Like, if it wasn't something that he thought would convince his brother even more that he was in the wrong, Mm. he could have just opened it to prove that Nate was full of shit. But he didn't. Which means, and also, like, he says it wasn't his. Like, he could be lying about that. Like, we don't know.
0: So, But we also get Nate telling the Italian that it's a record of all of her crimes, that she's committed trying to take down Moreau. Mm. I mean,
1: I guess either way, like, however it works, you know, it is something incriminating. Yeah. But I'm like, there there has to be a reason why the Mark did not want to open the envelope in front of his brother. Like, it has to have been something that would have further
0: incriminated him or at least made his brother look down upon him further. Or, radical thing, Mm. it's not his and he's scared of the person whose it is. And if, like, he opens it and it gets entered into evidence or whatever, he knows Mm. that he's going to be dead anyway, so he's better off just taking the full four. I...
1: Yes, but also I just – it's not the vibe I get from the Mark. I also recognise that you know more than me. <laughs> so maybe- No, that's okay. I'm just throwing theories out there to try and like – Yeah, but my, my thought would be that the Mark, regardless of what he says, I think he has to have at least some understanding of what is in the envelope and I think he has to know that him opening it would not look good for him. Whatever is inside, it would not look good for him. Whether it is like – even if it is like, you know, her list of crimes or whatever – Who's to say that he's not involved in it? He is holding the envelope. So it could be that he's holding it as blackmail. Or it could also be that he is involved in the crimes that she has been committed. So I think regardless, whatever is in that envelope, it would have made the situation worse for him to open it. Because otherwise, what reason does he have not to? So that's my thought process. I don't know how it would all tie together as of yet. But that's
0: okay. I'm just, we're finally in a season where I can ask you yeah. questions about a larger plot. So I'm interested to hear your feedback. Mm. Though the other question that I do really want to ask you is how do you feel about The Italian? I
1: don't know.
0: Okay. I know that
1: you've never watched Spy Family. No. But for in case anyone has, first of all, would highly recommend It's Hilarious and I love it. The premise is that there is this spy who has been tasked with this particular mission. For the sake of the mission, he needs to have a wife and a child for, like, his cover. He ends up in, like, basically a fake marriage AU mm-hmm. with an adopted daughter. But he reports to this woman called Handler, or she's also known as the Metal Lady, I think. And this woman, the Italian, reminds me of Handler. Like, she is has fingers in every pie. Like, she knows everyone's business. And she is so good. Like... She is it, basically. And, like, she gives me the same vibe of, like, everyone is reporting to her or, like, she is somehow pulling the strings of basically everyone around her. That's the vibe that I get. And part of me wonders if she is potentially, like... So I noticed in this episode that they dropped the line inside Job. And it did make me wonder... If that is a clue, I it did make me consider if maybe the Italian is maybe running an inside job. Like maybe she is actually somehow involved in like Moro's inner circle or she is somehow like, like a relative or like involved or like maybe she is Moro. Like I feel like she is tied into it pretty intricately mm-hmm. and like the reason that she is asking Nate to take him down is because that way she's not having to implicate herself as heavily. Like, she's kind of getting Nate to dirty his hands in her stead kind of mm. thing. And so, like, that is my maybe kind of thought about her. But it's half-baked and based yeah. in nothing but speculation, so don't quote me on it, I suppose.
0: That's okay. That was actually not what I was meaning when I asked. It's fascinating. Oh. I'm also meant, how do you feel about the vibes of the Italian? Because oh. I kind of love the Italian, like, not gonna lie – I love the whole bit about, like, I was having dinner with a fugitive. He's not a fugitive anymore. Yeah. And, like, Nate's moment of, like, it's like the italicized O moment in, like, mm-hmm. fan fiction. He's like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Like, he was, yeah. It hit him. She reminds me of
1: Tara. Mm-hmm. She reminds me of how I felt first felt about yeah. Tara, which is I don't trust her mm-hmm. for a fucking second. As a character, I think she's interesting and I enjoy her. However, I don't know how I emotionally feel about her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's where I'm I'm at. So, like, Tara in the runway job, where, like, she just isn't really, like, listening to Nate kind of thing. And, like, she's not quite understanding what they're about as a team. That's kind of the vibe I get where, like, this woman, like, she doesn't quite understand who she's dealing with yet. I think at the end of this episode, she has a better idea. But I guess we will have to... Wait and see.
0: Oh, I do want to call out one of my favourite lines in this episode, which is Parker's, like, explaining to Hardison exactly how bad it is for all of them if Hardison can't play the violin. Mm -hmm. And she's like, the mark will know something's up and we'll all die. And she's like, you've just got to get some adrenaline flowing. And he literally replies with, if I get adrenaline flowing, my giant hands are going to snap this priceless violin in half.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did enjoy that. Oh, actually, another Parker thing that I forgot to mention before. With the safe, like, with the vault, Mm -hmm. and she's, like, punching all the codes, surely there is a limit on how many codes you can try. Like, surely. You'd think so. There is no way that with all of that high-tech bloody bullshit... I'm assuming
0: that the thought process is no one's going to have long enough to... Like, because there's a physical guard, what's the point of having a limit on the amount of codes when there's a physical guard there anyway? Yeah. So, like, you're not going to have enough time to punch in all the possible codes and get the correct one. And then even if you do get the correct one, there's other security measures in place Mm -hmm. like the seismic sensor, etc. that mean that even if you do somehow manage to punch in all the codes, Mm -hmm. get to the correct code, you're not going to be able to get into the actual – like it's like it's only the first level of security so they're not as serious about like – Yeah. Do you know what's really interesting is I have just
1: realised that the way that the most – effective security systems are designed is the same way that the most effective food safety systems are designed using. So in food safety, it's uh, referred to as hurdle technology. And basically the idea is that instead of having just one hurdle in the way of like a pathogen, you have lots of little hurdles. And so basically like if for whatever reason along the process, one hurdle fails, you have like three or four backup hurdles. And like, this is kind of the same thing. So like, There are so many things where it's like, okay, if someone did manage to get the code, well, there's still a retinal scanner, and there's also still the seismic um, sensor, sensor, and there's still this, and there's still this. Whereas, like, if they just had the code, if someone had that, then they would just get in. And so, it's really interesting. Like, I literally just, in my brain, like, made that equivalence. (laughs) But, yeah, like, it's just, it's hurdle technology. Just used in a different capacity.
0: Oh, I also, there's one thing about this episode that I've never understood. Mm. So, They've just had the moment in the safe where they're all moved by the beautiful music and they get caught. Mm. Okay, great. Nate spins his story. It works perfectly. Fine. That that makes sense. I get that. But then we go from having Nate, Parker, Elliot in the safe and then it's sort of like it cuts over to the mark of the week. Yeah. looking baffled. And then we cut back and suddenly Sophie is there. Oh, yeah. And I don't know how she gets there because she just like appears –
1: yeah, I was confused about that too. And I just assumed that I'd been taking a note and just
0: missed her entrance. But if you also were confused... I just don't... Like, I don't ever remember seeing her sort of, like... Yeah, me Enter the safe. And it seems, like, weird that they wouldn't make a point of her entering the safe, considering I don't know why you would have her enter the safe. Like, I don't know why she's there. Like, Sophie yeah. feels unnecessary there. Like, they've already been caught. Like, you don't want to also implicate... To be fair, Nate is standing there in the
1: safe yelling into the fucking earpieces again. So he's like effectively like telling them that there are more people that they should be looking for. And I feel like Sophie is like the number one most suspicious suspicious. and she introduced quote unquote Timmy. So that I feel like immediately implicates them anyway, just because Nate doesn't know how to fucking whisper. (laughs) But yeah, it is weird that she just suddenly appears. Yeah. Like she just is there.
0: Anyway, that was all my notes. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about this episode? Uh, I only have one more thing. Go for it. So in
1: Bridgerton – well, I'm talking about a lot of different meters in this episode. In Bridgerton, Mm -hmm. they have a lot of live music, right? And it's, like, a lot of strings and, like, harps and whatever. And if you're watching the actual people who are, quote unquote, playing the instruments – They're not. The, like, strings, like, of the bow versus the instrument are, like, not touching. There's, like, a good inch between them. And I was watching this episode and I was like, oh, this is, like, Bridgerton all over again. I was like, none of you are playing an instrument right now. Especially because, like, they keep doing the, like, relatively tight shots on Hardison. And I'm like, he is not playing that motherfucking violin. Like, there's a centimeter of room between the bow and the strings. And I was like, I understand, but I'm also, like, my dudes. (laughs) Anyway, but that was my only note.
0: Lovely. Okay, perfect. So, first question up of our lineup. How do we think this ties in to getting tomorrow?
1: Oh, I mean, I'm really not sure. I think I basically covered my only real thoughts about it before when you asked mm-hmm. me about the Italian and I went on a little tirade, which is that I feel like the envelope yeah. has to be important somehow, especially mm-hmm. because we as the audience don't get to know what is actually in it. Yeah. I have to assume... I'm also wondering if, like, the mentions of the CIA specifically, like, the names are being sold to the CIA. Yeah. So it does make me wonder if maybe that is going to become integral somehow. The only other thing is that, yeah, I think that maybe there's a potential that the Italian is sort of more in a circle with Moreau. Yeah. So that we think that she's on the outside taking him down, but I think maybe she's running it as, like, an inside con.
0: Yeah. Like maybe the Italian is like his right hand man or something, and wants to take him down so she can feel the power back. Yeah, like honestly, or like even maybe she's like some sort of like jilted
1: business partner, mm. or like especially like if it is like her crimes that they took out of the vault. You know, like maybe maybe she's trying to clear her clean her slate so that she can you know. Mm. Go live, like, a normal civilian life. Or maybe she is Moro. Like, we don't actually know. And there's, like, a lot of different avenues they could be taking it. We're still really early in the season. Yeah. So, although, to be fair, how many episodes this season? Like, 16? Uh, Yeah, I think there's either 15 or 16. Okay, so we're, like, a quarter of the way through then. So... It's not a long season. Yeah. Look... I'm hoping that by the mid-season, I'll be able to give you a more, like, solid actual theory. Mm -hmm. But right now, I think it's still so open-ended that I can't see one direct avenue that they could be taking.
0: No, that's absolutely okay. All right, lovely. And then, so how would you rate this week's episode out of five? I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. Like, it's an an okay episode. There's nothing wrong with it. I like it. It's fine. It's fine. It's not one
1: that I would be, like, dying to go back to. And I also think... Obviously, like, with most shows, like, as the seasons, like, progress, like, the ensemble tend to get stronger and, like, the writers tend to solidify who the characters are. It tends to become a stronger show overall. I would just say that, like, this particular episode has not felt, like, as particularly strong or enjoyable as some, like, especially, like, recent episodes that we've had. So I'm going to give it a three. Like, I think it was alright. It's not one that I'd be busting to go back to. The
0: next episode is called The Double Blind Job. What do you think it's about? Okay, I
1: am really excited. I. Spoiler alert, I did see that this was like in the streaming service, it came up with like the next episode title, I didn't see like the description, Mm -hmm. but I did see the title. And I was like, oh, I am excited to see whatever this is. Because a double blind is, if anyone is familiar with, I mean, I already brought up my food safety stuff, but if anyone is familiar with like the way that experiments are structured, a double blind in science is typically when not only do the participants not know which is the control, like for example, substance. So, like if you're trying. What's two the differential pill versus the sugar pill? Yeah, exactly. So, like, what's, which one's the placebo? Not only do the participants not know which substance they're getting, but the experimenter or like the scientist or whoever who is running it research. also, yes, research is a great word, does not know which one it is either. So, it, it makes the results more objective because there is no inherent bias towards one or the other and I think that that is really interesting thinking about a crime (laughs) because it does sort of like imply that maybe like no one fully understands what's going on and like that could be like a really interesting concept like it could be that like Nate thinks that they're running one con but actually they're running you know, maybe they've been given one mark, but actually it turns out that they're supposed to be running like another, like almost like the pilot where like they thought they were doing one job, but then it turns out that they were lied to and that they actually had to kind of reverse the con. Like it could be something like that. It could be something where, I don't know, like, oh, we haven't had Sterling in like a little while. Like we could have maybe Sterling running like one operation while Nate is running another. Mm -hmm. And like they kind of cross over a little bit. Like I, I'm really fascinated to see. And like, to be fair, this could maybe not be a reference to scientific experimentation, but I do think it would be fun. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested to see what interpretation they've gone with. But that is my immediate thought when I hear of, like, a double blind.
0: All right. Lovely. Kate, okay. thank you so much for joining us today to listen to these, like, an hour-long... Incoherent ramblings. incoherent ramblings. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Please enjoy the rest of your day, evening, night, morning, afternoon, lunch, brunch... 2am in the morning. I don't know. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to interact with us at all on any of our various social media platforms, all of the links will be in the link tree below. Suggested topics of conversation include... Oh, if you want to talk to me about how this episode is relevant to the season 3 finale, because there are things that watching this, I noticed that I'm not allowed to tell Beth about, so I haven't (laughs) mentioned them at all, and I I kind of want to tell somebody. So if if you're interested, if you're curious... There's like a moment in this episode where I was like, oh, yeah, I can see exactly what they're doing here. And I was like, yeah, I can't bring that up at all because that's really obvious for Beth that that's something that they're doing. And I don't want to ruin the surprise for her. So talk to me about that, I guess. Mm. If you want to discuss some
1: Hardison versus Nate versus anyone else in the team, I guess, like, leadership qualities. Mm. I feel like that is, like, a big theme in this episode. So, like, that is totally a topic for conversation. Or potentially also, what the fuck is up with the Italian? Like, obviously you can't really talk to me about that, but you can talk to Jamie. (laughs) So, or, you know, if you have, like, a non-spoiler thought on anything that I have spouted this episode, like, hit me up because I am at a loss thus far. (laughs) I'm about as close to figuring out the plot of this season as I am to figuring out Sophie's real name. So, <laughs> uh, which is not close at all.
0: <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. Bye. Bye.